Good morning, people of Northeast Ohio. A hearty bunch who has not yet fled to Florida. Those who endure the weather, the snow, and still come to church. Those who have painful memories of days gone by that are brought back to the fore this time of year of a football coach they once fired in Cleveland and repeated attempts by another football team to dethrone the great and mighty Tom Brady. But alas, you endure. And you endure the endless ribbing of your pastor for which he is grateful. It is great to see you this morning. It's my privilege to open the scriptures to you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here in this place during this time. As we have been singing this morning, and as the words of these songs uh, acutely express, we love Jesus, and we are so grateful for the forgiveness that he gives us on his cross, and for the new life that we have in him, and for the love that you display to us through this salvation, and we worship you. You are a great and mighty God, and you're worthy of all honor and glory and praise, And we praise you now as we look to your word. And we pray that you would bless the reading and the preaching of it for the edification and building up of this church family and for the sake of your glory. Amen. Well, there are two types of drivers in this world. The first type is that when traffic comes to a screeching halt, they wait patiently until it begins to move again. This type of driver often suffers from high blood pressure. The second type is that when traffic comes to a screeching halt, they immediately look for an off-ramp because they are convinced that taking the back roads or even taking the long way is better as long as they still are achieving forward progress than it would be to sit there in Gridlock. This type of driver usually has a spouse who suffers from high blood pressure. (laughs) I wonder how you would describe your spiritual life in terms of movement. Are you progressing forward or are you stuck? Some of us might feel that our forward progress has been brought to a grinding halt in the traffic jam of life. With all of its distraction, it's a variety of activities and commitments and pressing agendas, and all of those agendas seem to be moving forward, all the while our spiritual life might be stopped dead in its tracks. Others of us might feel like we are bombing down the highway at 100 miles an hour, that things are moving very fast, that we are experiencing God in wonderful ways, that we're just trying to soak in whatever we can along the way as we get to know him better and experience him more as we go through our daily lives. And many of us, probably most of us, experience the spiritual life, experience a sense of forward progress in this Christian life, and it's somewhat like driving on the Kennedy Expressway outside of the city of Chicago. There are sections of the expressway that move very fast. And there are other sections that come to a complete and grinding halt. But most of it, 
results in just moving along steady at a slow pace. I wonder where you would describe your spiritual life in terms of movement. Today we start this new series that we're calling Forward, and it's a series in the book of Philippians. In Philippians, the apostle Paul writes uh, a letter to a local church, and it's meant for all churches, of course, and in it are all these wonderful themes. It's evident that he loves these people, and he communicates a variety of things to them, like a friend would in conversation to another friend. But undergirding all of these themes that we're going to talk about over the next number of weeks is this ongoing dynamic that he cares for their forward progress, that he wants them to grow. And he tells them specifically what that growth looks like. It's not a vague type of growth, but he wants them to progress in specific ways. And that's a desire that we can all relate to, isn't it? I mean, nobody wants to be stuck spiritually. Every single one of us who have put our faith in Jesus want to experience God in a forward-moving type of way. And that's what we see in this book. And so I want to ask you to turn your Bible with me to the book of Philippians. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, grab that pew Bible in front of you and flip over to page 980. And I do encourage you to do that. Every week we ask you to open your Bible specifically because throughout the message, we are going to reference it a number of times. And it's much easier, it's much easier to learn and to see uh, when you have it open right in front of you and can follow along. Paul starts this letter with a variety of themes, but he gets right to this idea of forward motion, spiritual growth. And this is what he says. Philippians chapter 1, starting at verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. As we read the introduction to this letter, there are a few important features that really strike me. First, it is very obvious that Paul writes to this church in a manner of great love and affection, isn't it? He uses this language uh, that he holds them in his heart and he thinks about them and as he prays about them. And you can imagine as the letter came to the church and it was read aloud for the very first time, how the people in that gathering would be thinking to themselves, He really knows us. And he really 
loves us. And he expresses this love to them in his desire to see them grow. And his care for them is not for them to grow in some sort of vague or general type of way. He actually has three specific things, at least in this introduction, that he has in mind for them. And the second thing that really strikes me about this is that in these three things that he wants for them, we see a tremendous sense that these things only happen for them as a group of people. There's a tremendous sense of togetherness that's going on here in this introduction. He's not addressing them as a group of disconnected individuals, saying, I want you to grow and you to grow and you to grow, but I want you to grow this way and you to grow that way. No, he's talking about them together as a whole. And he's applying the things that he's saying to them all together as a whole. He wants them to understand this very plain reality. And that is that the cross of Jesus gives us forward progress together. The cross of Jesus gives us forward progress together. Together. And we see that in three ways. The first is seen right in verses 3 through 5. That we progress in joyful partnership. Look at it with me. Following this brief introduction, Paul immediately moves into a prayer that contains three different sections. And this is the first. This section is a section of thanksgiving. And he, th- he thanks God, verse 3, in all his remembrance of you. And skipping down to verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel. Partnership that he refers to here has multiple elements to it. First of all, this partnership is very practical in its nature. I mean, think about what's going on. Paul is an apostle. He's moving around from place to place, city to city. He's preaching the word of God. People are coming to faith in Jesus, and he's establishing churches. He needs partners to be able to do this. He needs financial partners and he needs physical partners. And he certainly needs a whole host of people as prayer partners. Most recently, Paul now is in prison. And if you know anything about prison in the ancient world, you know that it's nothing like our idea of prison today. There's no three square meals a day. There's no climate-controlled environment. He needs a different kind of partner. Most people abandon those in prison. They're the ones in society you want to stay away from. But he needs partners to provide very basic things, blankets and food and visitation and letter carriers and and things like that. Their partnership with him was practical. But even more than that, this partnership represented something of greater depth. Because the word for partnership here is the same word that we often use for fellowship. It's the word koinonia in the Greek. And if you understand anything about this idea of fellowship or partnership, this isn't just a loose type of arrangement that two people have together to accomplish the same goal. Actually, this is a very, very close relationship in which two people have a unique and even deep set of goals. You use the word fellowship from time to time as a Christian I imagine, but you probably don't use it all that often with your non-Christian friends. It's kind of weird if you went to work today and said, hey, why don't you all come over and watch the Patriots win the Super Bowl and we can have some fellowship together. That wouldn't make any sense to a lot of people. 
But it does make sense for Christians somehow, doesn't it? Why? Because this word means to have a close relationship with somebody because of a common sense in sharing something or a common purpose. One of the ways that I like this expressed is that people have a common share in something. A common share. That they are both partakers of something. They're both invested in something. They both take ownership of the same thing. And this creates in them not just casual friendship, but very deep and profound partnership. More than just physical proximity to each other, more than mutual interests. What binds Christians together is that they share in the same reality. The purpose and mission of their life, their whole lives, is centered on the advancement of God's saving work through Jesus Christ. And all of them, all of you, play a part in that reality. Now, I wonder if you've ever had a partner in another area of life that you have just so thoroughly enjoyed working with that when you think about that partner, maybe it was you coached your kid's sports team with them, or maybe you served with them in the Sunday school room, or maybe it was a partner in a project at work. But when you think about working with that person, you say, oh, that was an incredible experience. I mean, we had the same goals and purpose and mission And I thoroughly enjoyed them, and I think they enjoyed me, and we contributed uniquely with our different skills and gifts and abilities. But we had the same long-term goal in mind, and we achieved it in some way. When you think about those types of partners in life, have you ever had one before? That type of relationship brings you great joy, doesn't it? It's a different type of relationship than most relationships. And so Paul actually here is talking about not just partnership, but even a joyful partnership, as he says that he prays for them always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Great joy. This is the first of 14 times in this book of Philippians that Paul is going to introduce this concept of joy. The relationship that they had with one another moves far beyond the perks of casual friendship. It moves to a deeper, longer-lasting affection and gladness for their place in his life. And as you're going to see in a moment, this is because of what God has worked out in their lives. God has done something incredible. He does this for all Christians. He sets us on a new trajectory, a new path, but it's the same path even though it looks a little bit differently for all of us. It's moving all in the same direction. And so the source of this joy in partnership, the source is actually the person of God himself who began the good work. And the disposition of this joy is confidence that God is going to complete that good work. But what does this mean practically? Practically, it means this, that you as a Christian, if you're here today and you call yourself a Christian, you have the opportunity to experience some of the deepest relationships that we can experience in this life. And I could say it 
to be true for myself, and I know it's true for so many others as well, that Christians are able to experience relationships that are even deeper than that of their blood relatives because they have a common share, because they have a unique partnership, because they have a profound fellowship in how they view and how they go about their lives. That's a pretty bold thing to say, is that you can have people closer in your life than your very own blood relatives. Why? Because of the purpose and direction that God has placed in you. And that's why Paul uses the terms brothers and sisters to simply refer to his friends. And he does it nine times throughout the course of this book. I can list a dozen people like this that play that function in my life. And some of them are ones that wouldn't naturally come about. I mean, I think of one of the closest people in my life is a man named Doug Pollard. Doug is one of these guys that by all sort of external measures, I probably shouldn't be friends with. Uh, He's not old enough. He's about 20, 22 years older than I am, 21 years older than I am. So he's not old enough to be my dad or that fatherly figure. But he's also not young enough to be like that older brother. He's kind of in that weird zone where you don't see a lot of people with those types of close relationships with. Doug's from a different part of the country than I'm from. He is a different set of skills and gifts and abilities than I have, and even some different interests. And his disposition is different than me. Doug is wise and soft-spoken and incredibly intelligent. And I'm not any of those things. And yet, and yet, God has put him in my life through a variety of circumstances, and even though we live now hundreds of miles away from each other, he's very easily one of the closest people in my life. Why? Partnership in the most profound thing, the gospel. I've been here at Old North for less than two years, and I remember about two years ago receiving a letter from somebody who is now also one of the closest people in my life, and that's Pastor Marty. You all know Pastor Marty is up here this morning, and Pastor Marty likes to write letters, and he expresses himself beautifully with the pen. And he said to me in this letter, as we were just getting to know each other, really, he said, I have found in my life, this is a summary, but I found in my life that some of the closest people to me, some of my dearest and deepest relationships are people who partner in the gospel, and we get to labor together. And that's true. And less than two years later, Marty's moved from obscure, bald-headed guy to very close, personal, deep friend of mine. What does this look like? Well, this looks like uh, Tony Payne. Last week we had Tony Payne, an Australian bloke up here. He gave the message, and some of us have known Tony from a distance. Others of us uh, have had the opportunity to get to know him more closely. But it's amazing how I, I, I met Tony for the first time a couple years ago, but got to spend more time with him in this visit, and how, how even though he comes from the other side of the world, and even though we, don't, we did not really know each other, there's an immediate barriers that are dropped and relationships that form and affection that develops in friendship. Why? Because of partnership. Because we have a common share in this life 
to grow in Jesus and to be ambassadors for Jesus. And that type of partnership is more unique than any other type of relationship in the world. It's, it's much better than just liking the same sports team or than even having the same activity that we like to do or sharing the same workplace. It's a calling for the human life. So what does it mean for you? It means that you have an opportunity for the deepest types of relationships in this world, true and lasting partnerships. It means that Christians uh, don't go it alone, <laughs> That God hasn't designed you to be the one that says, I experience God in the wilderness by myself. Bull. You experience God in partnership with his people as you move forward together. And dare I say, it's very hard and almost impossible to grow alone. We're designed for joyful partnership with one another that lasts all of our days. And so this changes the way that we look at a variety of interactions and relationships in this life. And it certainly, and even most simply, changes the way we look at church. I mean, how do you move from from acquaintances to friendship to true and lasting partnership? Well, one of the ways is that when you come here to be a part of this group of people is that you don't say, I'm going to come in bump shoulders with a couple people I might have met in town, and then go out on our separate ways. I'm going to talk to the people I like. I'm going to avoid the people I don't like. If there's somebody at the same stage of life as me, then maybe we'll have something in common. If there's not, then maybe we won't. But actually, when you start to think about and begin to realize that all these people around you have a common share with you, and they are true and lasting partners for life and for the mission that God has placed all of us on individually and collectively, you have the framework for moving from acquaintances to friends to partners. The cross of Jesus gives us forward progress together. Together. And this, I could go on here, but this, this naturally flows into the next part of the text, and we should move forward to there. It flows into the nature of what really binds us together. What is the core of this partnership? And the core of the partnership that we see in verses 6 through 8 is that we progress together because of what we have received together, right? I mean, when you know where you came from, then you have an idea of where you're going. If you're talking about movement, you're moving from one place to another, and Paul lists a number of things that we've received together. Verse 7, look at it with me. You are partakers of grace with me. That's something you've received. Verse 11, you've been filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Verse 6, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. We all have received something Together, when you put your faith in Jesus, you become a partaker of God's grace with all other Christians who have put their faith in him as well. God's grace, his favor comes upon you, and this favor is not something that you've earned. It comes in the form of the forgiveness of sins. It comes in the form of Christ's righteousness be given to you. This favor comes as a great and eternal inheritance for things that are to come. 
God bestows his blessing, his grace, his favor on Christians, and you've been positionally transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of Jesus. And as such, you are now called co-heirs with him for the good gifts of the Father in eternity. All Christians receive these things. But beyond that positional shift, we see that there is ethical benefit as well. You are, as it says in verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus. That is, because of Jesus' place in your life and what he has done, there are fruits that emerge, that God in his kindness continues to grow you to do good things and to do righteous things that are honoring to God, that are building up to other people, that show his goodness in your life. And so... This is a supernatural reality and things start to happen in you as you're on this process that you could never do yourself. And all of a sudden you have qualities that you probably could not promote within yourself, at least not fully, but God is starting to give you things like love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and gentleness, faithfulness and self-control. And all of this happens as a long process that God enacts through the life of the Christian individually and the life of Christians corporately. And so you see in verse 6, this verse that is incredibly encouraging to us. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. Now this, this verse is often applied to bolster our personal confidence, isn't it? God began a good work in me. God saved me. God began to change me. And God is going to complete it in me. And of course, that's true. Of course, the saving work of God is applied to individuals and the process of our growth or what we might call sanctification happens throughout the course of our life and God does that in individuals. But don't miss the fact that this is very closely related to this idea of partnership or fellowship that he's talking about here. God began a good work by forming a new people for himself and that is us. God began a good work in us and he formed a local congregation called Old North Church and he brought people from a bunch of different towns and villages and cities together from different walks of life and he does this good work and it progresses it in us. And if he starts it in us as a church, then he's going to complete it in us as a local family. And this partnership that we have together deepens and grows. And our relational joy together as a church family expands. And our confidence that he will use the people of this local church family to its intended purpose is firm. But this takes some growing, doesn't it? This takes some learning. This takes forward progress together. A little girl in England named Josie Caven was born profoundly deaf. Growing up, she often felt 
isolated because of her inability to hear. But that changed after receiving a cochlear implant during a recent Christmas season. At the age of 12, she heard clearly for the very first time. And the first sound she heard was the song Jingle Bells on the radio. Was Josie's hearing restored? Yes, completely restored. Was she hearing well immediately? Not exactly. Her mother said that she was having to learn what each new sound is and what each new sound means. And so she would regularly ask things like, was that a door closing or was that something else? She learned that when she flipped on the light switch in her bedroom that the switch hummed with the sound of the electricity moving. And she even knows what her name sounds like now for the very first time because before she could not hear the soft S sounds in the middle of words. Her mother said, seeing her face light up as she hears everything around her is all I could have wished for this Christmas. Josie's hearing was resolved, but that restoration introduced her to a whole new daily adventure of learning to distinguish each new sound in the hearing world. It's the already, but not yet. It's the good work that has begun, but it's not yet completed. Whether it's the sanctifying work of God in your life and the adventure that he has you on as you continue to grow in forward progress, or whether it's the depths of partnership that God is creating in this very church family, we need to learn and progress Together, as God accomplishes this work, the cross of Jesus gives us forward progress together. And we see that in a third way, and maybe the most profound way in verses 9 through 11, and that is one of the ways that we progress together is in love. Look at it with me. So Paul starts this prayer. He thanks God. He takes a little interlude and wanders a little bit, and he comes back to verse 9 with this wonderful expression. And he says, It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. Forward progress for Christians is when a Christian grows more and more in love. Do you ever think about your spiritual growth that way? That one of the markers for your life, one of the things that God is doing in you is helping you to grow in love? But this is a different kind of love than maybe we're used to talking about in our culture. Because we live in a culture right now in which love is almost always equated to emotion or driven by emotion, don't we? We, we see examples of and we say things like, um, if, I'm, if I have those feelings, then I must be in love. <laughs> or if I don't, if I'm not feeling it, then I must move on to something else, something that I truly love. But Paul is not talking about love that's strictly driven by emotion here. 
he's describing a love that's much, much more robust than that because feelings can deceive us and emotions can be fickle. But if love is to grow, he says, there needs to be two accompanying components, and that is knowledge needs to grow and discernment needs to grow. And then this love, this type of love will be deep. This type of love will be wide. This type of love will be effective. Because love at its core is an expression of service toward others, isn't it? And yet, at the same time, this love needs to know how to serve others. Knowledge and discernment points the way for love to increase. He wants their love to grow specifically in these ways. And so what does that mean? What does it mean to grow, for love to grow in knowledge? Well, knowledge here is something that we could describe as, or translate as full knowledge, and it means to understand the will of God and how the will of God relates to our conduct. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 points to this reality. It says, therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God. The point is, is that for love to grow, that your knowledge needs to grow. And this is another just great reminder, gentle and direct, that for your knowledge to grow in God's will, You need to grow in your understanding of who God is and how God works. And that's why we make ourselves available for discipleship opportunities all the time. That's why we talk about Wednesday night like Marty did this morning and Sunday school classes with the variety on Sunday morning and why we regularly encourage you to meet with another believer or believers with your Bible open to grow, to have forward progress together so that your knowledge may increase, but not just so that you become a person of incredible and useless facts. Your knowledge increases so your love may increase. Your love for God, and that love for God is inextricably linked from your love for other people as well. What does it mean for love to grow in discernment? Or maybe some of your translations say insight. This denotes a moral understanding that guides our actions and our words, if we are wise. To be discerning means to perceive the real nature of things. And if you stop and think about that for a minute, think about the implications of that statement, that should cause you to be taken aback. Because that means that there are plenty of people who are not perceiving the real nature of things. At least not completely. And we know this to be true. We know this to be true in our own lives. When we are tempted by things that are short-sighted, when we convince ourselves that if I do this or pursue this, then I'll be fulfilled, we're not seeing clearly the real nature of things. We're seeing the temporary nature of things or the seductive nature of things. But Paul wants their love to grow in discernment or insight so they can perceive what is real. And Peter expresses something similar 
in 1 Peter 2 when he's telling people to get rid of certain types of behaviors, types of behaviors that they've been led into because they don't see what is real, they're not discerning, they're not wise, their actions and their words aren't informed by what is real. So he says, rid yourselves of malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that you may grow up into your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. And so Paul wants their love to grow in knowledge and in discernment or insight. And this knowledge and discernment unites their understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the cross of Christ, with a practical nature of people. And that's why it's so important that you never Ever, no matter how old or how young you are, no matter how immature or mature you think that you are, while you never stop making yourself available to grow alongside other Christians. Because when you do, you will love better. The cross of Jesus gives us this forward progress together. And so here we are. We've moved through the introduction of Philippians. I don't know if that's much like the introduction of letters that you write to people. It's certainly not for me. It is incredibly packed with truth and encouragement and challenge. And I think about it in terms of where we are in this season of our life as a church. A season in which I think some of us have expressed a a real and palpable sense that we are growing in partnership together that the relationships that are forming at Old North Church are ones, um, by God's grace, that are moving past acquaintances and friendship even to deeper partnership. And so the challenge is, where are you in that? I think beyond that, the desire to continue to grow as partners and to grow personally in our love in discerning and knowledgeable ways is something that We can taste. We can taste it because God is so good to us and we want it and we're reaching for it and we don't want to be stuck in the spiritual traffic jam in this life. And some of you here today maybe haven't even become a Christian yet. And I think about you and I say, this is a great introduction to you to the Christian life because not only do you, when you put your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, not only are all the wonderful gifts of God available to you, his forgiveness, the righteousness of Christ, the inheritance that he gives you forever, but he gives you a whole bunch of people to journey through the rest of your life with. And this should give you great joy and encouragement as you do. And so if you are not a Christian, it is my plea, please come talk to me, come talk to Pastor Chris. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk about it with you. Write something on the note card in the pew in front of you, and we'd love to be in contact with you as well. You know, there are a lot of people out there who find beetles and bugs to be somewhat creepy. But there is one beetle in the world that could turn you into a beetle lover, and that is called the jewel scarab. The jewel scarab lives in the jungles of Honduras, And they have the shape of a regular Christmas beetle, but their colors are so dazzling and beautiful that a single bug can sell for upwards of $500. 
here you see some jewel scarab earrings, which I fully hope to see on some of you next week. (laughs) These beetles have all kinds of different colors, bright golds and blues and silvers that looks like chrome. And even a beetle hater can find scarabs to be dazzling and beautiful. But the jewel scarab's beauty does not come automatically. Every scarab has modest and even an ugly beginning. The scarab starts life as a soft, mushy, gray, white grub growing inside of a rotting tree stump. And they spend their life this way for almost a year. And then the rainy season comes. And the adult scarabs emerge soft-bodied and pale. But within hours, their bodies harden and their splendid colors begin to show. They only live for about three months after that. But what a glorious three months it is. People are a lot like scarabs. We may not feel terribly beautiful and attractive. And in fact, there might be many parts of you that feel distinctly ugly. I'm not talking about physical things. I'm talking about character. I'm talking about history. I'm talking about thoughts and actions in your mind. But the work of the Spirit of God is to make us beautiful. It may seem like it takes a lifetime, and for many of us it does. But as the Spirit works on us, we emerge as beautiful, dazzling, shining creatures, gloriously bearing the image of the Creator. Creatures with joyful partnerships. Creatures with Uh, increased and growing love, creatures that reflect the fruit of righteousness, creatures that reflect a work that began a long time ago, but that God is in the process of repeating. The cross of Jesus gives us forward progress together. And it is my prayer that as you think about where you are in your spiritual life in terms of movement, that through this series this type of movement and depth of partnership and abounding in love will become an intentional pursuit for you. Let's pray and ask for God's help in that, shall we? I need it, I know, and I know that you do too. So Father, we thank you that you do not simply save us and then leave us, but that you set us on this wonderful journey of moving from ugly to beautiful of being a loner to being part of a community, of being unloving to be abounding in love, all as a sign of your grace and mercy. God, help us in this, we pray. Grow us and knit us together even more closely than you have. Help us to see and to be compelled by the mission that you have us on to grow in Jesus and to be an ambassador for Jesus. And God, receive much glory for yourself as you do this work in us. It's work that you started in us, that you're going to complete in us, that you do in this church of Old North. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.